Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Now, we're in week three of a series. I was going to week three. Week three of a series called People Get Ready. And this week, I want to help you get ready to, to, to change your perspective. Your perspective on small things, your perspective on power, your perspective on faith. So I want to encourage you to really lean in in this teaching because I hopefully it will really help energize, but also many of us are going to experience a breakthrough today. So I, I want to start because I was thinking about it this week. I was thinking about, I grew up with five siblings, right? You know, we're all a year apart. Christmases were crazy. And there were always gifts under the tree. And, you know, it wasn't like there was a ton of them, but there was always something under the tree. And inevitably, as a kid, you'd always evaluate the gift by the size of the gift, right? You know, bigger was better. Bigger's better, right? In fact, if one of my brothers had this gift and I had this one, I knew my parents loved them more than me. Because it's just the way we kind of size up life. We, when we're young, perspective is bent towards, you know, what we know. And, and as we grow older, we start to realize that sometimes in these small boxes, there's nice things that come in small boxes. We learn that over time. Well, uh, perspective is something that you and I struggle with as human beings. And I want to invite you, if you're not in the chat room, jump into the chat room because I'm gonna, I want to hear back from you because I'm going to ask you three questions. And they're multiple choice questions. So you can respond in the, in the chat room with either the letter A, B, or C to each of these questions because I want to see how you respond and whether or not you, what your perspective is on some of the issues globally. So here's the first question. The first question goes like this. Worldwide, 30-year-old men have spent 10 years in school, on average. How many years have women of the same age spent in school? So, you get the question here. And the possible answers are A, 9 years, B, 6 years, C, 3 years. So just in the chat room, put A, B, or C, whatever your answer is, uh, the equivalent of women having spent in school as men of the same age in vintage. Okay, question number two. In the last 20 years, the proportion of the world's population living in extreme uh, poverty has, A, almost doubled. B, remained more or less the same. C, almost halved. Where do you you see the world's population uh, uh, living in extreme poverty? Where has it been over the last 20 years? And then question number three. How did the number of deaths per year from natural disasters change over the last hundred years? A, more than doubled. In other words, things have been getting worse globally with natural disasters. B, remained about the same. Or C, decreased to less than half. So how do you respond? A, B, or C? Just put it in the chat room for each of these questions and let's see how you did. You ready? Let's go back to question number one. Worldwide? 30-year-old men, 10 years being educated, women of the same age, how many years have they been educated? The right answer would have been A, nine years, nine years. How'd you do on that one, okay? Thumbs up, 
Good. Let's keep going. Number two. In the last 20 years, the proportion of the world population living in extreme poverty has C, almost halved. Isn't that incredible? In the last 20 years, the amount of people living in extreme poverty has been cut in half. Incredible. And then question number three, how did the number of deaths per year from natural disasters change in the last 100 years? And the answer is it's decreased to less than half. Now, now how'd you do in this? I wonder how you did with this. These questions are part of a larger set of questions in a book called Factfulness. It's a book that uh, Bill Gates says in the title uh, line of it, one of the most important books I've ever read. Uh, I find that interesting. Bill, you should read the Bible, though. I think you'd really enjoy that one. But it, it, there's 13 questions that a Swedish researcher, Hans Rosling, asked globally in many different nations. And he found out statistically 7% of humans got all the 13 questions right. 7%. 7%. Now, to put in contrast, in a, in a study group with chimpanzees, uh, they, which was arbitrary, and they could, he, he illustrates it saying he could have had a, an A, B, and C on a banana, and whichever one they picked up would be the right answer. They would be 33% right most of the time. Why? Are they smarter? No, it has nothing to do with smarts. It has a ton to do with perspective. See, we filter facts through a lens of our own biases, we, we filter through facts, through our feelings, and these things can be very misleading at times. In fact, here's what he concludes in his research. He says, every group of people I ask thinks the world is more frightening, more violent, and more helpless. In short, more dramatic than it really is. See, the facts are the world has never been safer or fairer than it, really, than it is right now, but it sure doesn't feel that way, does it? It doesn't feel that way. You know, and I'm not sharing this to say that we don't have work to do, because you know we do, about the injustices and the inequalities in this world. There's certainly work to be done. But what I am saying is, and what it's illustrating, and what you'll see in a moment that Jesus illustrates in Luke chapter 13, is that we have trouble with perspective. See, you and I, and I count myself in this, we're all in this together. We have difficulty distinguishing between facts and fantasy between actual data and anecdotal data. We struggle with that. And in this era that we live in, in social media and YouTube and all the sensationalism that's around us, here's what happens a lot of the times. People get a hold of facts because we've never had access to more facts. Facts are not the problem, actually. The problem is the narratives that we build around these facts to either support something we want to believe, support something we do believe, and what happens when you spin facts is they actually become a form of fantasy. They're actually a form of fantasy. Now, if you're a deacon at One Church TO or you've been or you're a staff member, you've probably heard me say this a hundred times over the last few years, that leaders don't make decisions, they make decisions on actual data, not feelings. Because feelings have a tendency to distort truth and distort reality. Now, this is difficult for us. This is difficult for us. Now, let, let me lean in with some real talk. As people of faith, we're often guided by our feelings, right? We, in our relationships, we're guided by our feelings. And feelings aren't wrong. I love that scripture paints a picture of a God who is emotional, who does feel. Feelings are not wrong. 
Feelings aren't wrong at all, but feelings have a problem, and especially under certain conditions. When we're stressed, <laughs> when, when, when we're under duress or pressure, when we're going through a difficult time, or here's another interesting thing. You can see it in scripture, but you can certainly see it in life. When you're suspicious, when, when any of those things exist, we tend to distort facts with feelings. We tend to twist what the truth looks like. Now, Jesus speaks to this, and I, he speaks specifically to perspective and power, and that's where we're going today, in Luke chapter 13. Now, I'm not going to read this to you from Toronto, Canada. I'm going to read this to you from Israel. Take a look. Jesus looked around where he was teaching, and he'd find illustrations right in his own backyard. And we're on the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee right now, and I'm standing next to a must mustard seed plant. And of course, uh, these are not native to our part of the world, but you can see that they grow quite large. And he would say things like this, that all we needed was faith as a mustard seed, and, and we, we could move mountains. Uh, here's a parable from Luke chapter 13, verse 18. He says this, Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and it became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. So what is the kingdom of God like? And Jesus in this kind of metaphor that he's describing what the kingdom of God is like, he could have used a lot of metaphors. And I thought, man, if I was describing the kingdom of God, it would have been with more triumphalism, more, more dominance and power. But God, Jesus comes out a little bit differently. He said, what does the kingdom of God look like? It looks like a, can you say it with me, tiny mustard seed. A tiny mustard seed that a man planted in the garden and it grows and it becomes a tree. Now, before we kind of jump into the next part of the teaching, I, I want to acknowledge this. It's interesting that Jesus chooses this as a metaphor because a seed in itself takes time to grow. And it really reveals how God's kingdom works. And this is really paramount to why some of us feel so many frustrations when it comes to prayer and believing God for things. It's because we Let's, let's just acknowledge this. We want short-term wins, don't we? And God is invested in our long-term win. And what that means is sometimes in life, uh, we come to God in desperation and we experience frustration because the immediate thing we bring to God, the relationship problem, fix my child, fix this work situation, heal me in this moment, those are the pressing issues that demand attention and dominate our perspective in that moment. And we forget that, that God is concerned about that. Absolutely, we can go to him in prayer and we will at the end of our gathering. But God is playing, not playing, God is at work in the long term. He's more interested in the eternal implications to your life and those around you. So it's a matter of perspective. And he's speaking of a type of power in the scripture. Now, the Apostle Paul unpacks this in many different places, but one of my favorite things about the kingdom of God, he tells in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, he says this, the kingdom of God does not consist. And if you have a Bible, you might want to circle that word. It's not constructed. It doesn't consist in talk, but in power. What's he mean there? He's meaning it's, it's possible to adopt Christianity in word 
in, in, in Christianity and morality and ideals and beliefs and even behaviors and not experience it in power. Another portion of scripture in Romans chapter 1, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the, can you say it? A great idea. It, because it's a positive message. Well, it is those things. But that's not who he describes the gospel. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings. There's an activity that happens. The gospel is a power of God that brings. What does it bring to your life and my life when the gospel is planted in us? It brings salvation to everyone who believes. It's powerful. See, in essence, Christianity in essence is a power. It's a power. There are people, and I, listen, I know this. There are people listening right now. You have Christianity in word, but not in power. And I want to address that today. A power for what? A power for those baptism stories. A power to change. A power to be renovated and transformed. A power to be freed. A power to provide. A power to heal. A power to to empower, to serve others. A power so powerful that we can be gentle. A power that brings about love. And Jesus is talking in this little illustration in Luke chapter 13 about the nature of the power of the kingdom of God. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, number one, it looks small, but it's massive. It looks small, but it's massive. You know, I love that he chose this mustard seed. A small, insignificant, easily over, underestimated little thing. And this little seed goes into the dirt. Now, here's the thing with dirt. We view dirt, and we view it as something dead. It's something we want to wash off us, right? It's something that we want to move away from us, get the dirt away from me. But the dirt is actually brimming with chemical organic constructs that when the seed goes into it, the potential for life, whoa. Whoa, it's a massive. But how many of us are guilty of only seeing the dirt in life? How many of us are guilty at seeing a relationship problem and all we can see is the dirt? We're guilty of facing a health affliction and all we can see is the dirt. Or a situation at work or a situation relationally in your life and all you can see is the dirt. And you know what we do when we just see the dirt? We go and we talk to other people about it because we got to get it off our chest, right? But what many of us don't do is we don't put the seed of the kingdom of God into that dead situation. And when you do put the seed of the power of the kingdom of God into a dead situation, the potential for a breakthrough is seismic. It's massive. It's the thing what the Bible talks about. It's exactly what it means when it says we must be born again. It's that the spirit of the living God, the life substance of God, the power of God at work in us and through us is deposited in us. We were dead in our trespasses. We were dirt. And the king, this kernel, that seed of the kingdom of God was put into us and it brought us and made us alive again. This is why, you know, even today I was just texting back and forth with one of our deacons who lost their, their father. And, you, you know, here's, here's the beautiful thing. As flawed and broken as every one of us is, when the seed of the kingdom of God is put into us, though we may die, we live. 
It's that powerful. I mean, it's small, but friends, it's massive in its potential. There's something else, though, that Jesus is driving at here is number two, it looks weak, but it's always flexing. Everybody, you know, if you're home, just flex for a minute. The kingdom of God is like that seed. It looks weak, it looks anemic, but it's always flexing. There's power at work in you. There's power at work in me. And that power is to free us, free us from slavery. What do you mean? I'm not enslaved. Let me use more modern language. Freedom from the things that control you, the habits that control you, the appetites, the addictions that control you, the insecurities that control you. What controls you, friend? How many of us are controlled by our insecurities? Our insecurities make our decisions for us. How many of us are controlled by our fears and our anxiety and they make the decisions for our lives? How many of us are being controlled by voices? Voices that are telling us who we are and what we are and usually they're demeaning voices. How many of us are believing that voice over the voice? See, there's so much of life that Jesus, when the kingdom of God comes into us, the power potential in us to free us is incredible. In fact, you need this power. You need this power in order to experience God's love because it's that power of the kingdom of God that reminds us you are cherished, you are known, and you are loved. And Jesus illustrates all of this with this little mustard seed. Now, it seems weak though. Because listen, if a mustard seed and a concrete slab had a head-on collision, who's going to win? Well, the concrete slab will win every day. But you know, if you plant that seed underneath that concrete slab, give it a couple of years, and that seed is going to break that concrete slab. It will break it in two. You see, we have this hidden power, this hidden power inside of us uh, of the kingdom of God. We have this hidden power in each of us, friends, of the kingdom of God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to know, and by the end of this message, you're going to understand, this, ma- this power, there's nothing it can't accomplish. It's that, it's that great. Because it's not a power attached to our limitations. It's a power attached to his. And God has no lim- limitations. So, friends, just probe your own life right now. Take stock of your life. Has a, has a slab of anxiety just kind of, is it, has it been crushing you? Have a slab of, uh, of physical affliction just slammed into your life in this season? Has a slab of loneliness just started to bury you? Has a slab of addiction, is it controlling you? And maybe it's not an obvious addiction. Maybe it's not something, it might be, but it might be an addiction that nobody else knows, but you do. It's controlling your appetites. It's controlling your self-esteem. Is that, is that controlling you? Is it a slab of COVID-19 that's causing you despair? If you hear nothing else I say today, remember this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a seed. You have a power, and that power can crack the slab. It can crack the slab. There's no slab that can withstand this power. In fact, in four chapters later, Jesus keeps talking about this mustard seed. In Luke chapter 17, he says this. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, I alluded to it in the video. There's so many things, and he goes on to describe what you could do if you had faith just as small as a mustard seed. 
Faith is what activates that power in our life. That power potential, it's in you as great as it is in me. No, this is really key. I don't have more power than you do. You don't have more power than I do. When the kingdom of God comes into our lives, there is this incredible power at work in us and through us, and it's activated and deployed through faith. But what is faith? And this is probably, I know Pastor Keith, you've had the luxury of you've been a part of One Church TO for a long time. You've heard Pastor Keith over the years. You've heard me. You know how tightly we try to stay to Scripture. But if you take your key and your teaching about faith from a, a lot of the stuff I've seen on the internet and some of the stuff I hear in TV evangelists, you know, uh, let me just lean in to help us contextualize faith a little bit before we proceed. What is faith? Well, faith comes from a little Greek word, uh, pistis, which means trust or belief. Or, or uh, this could be belief. Uh, it, that's what it means in essence. Faith is in essence a trust. It's a deep and profound trust. So I'm going to make a couple statements that will frame the type of faith that Jesus describes and the type of faith that I'm encouraging. The first is simply this. Faith without an object is, can you say, meaningless. Faith without some sort of object is absolutely meaningless. And faith devoid of an object means nothing. It's an exercise. This is why when people say, listen, you're going through a tough time, you must have faith. If the object that you're talking about, having faith in something, is not obvious, that statement is meaningless. In other words, if I'm going through a really rough, tough time, I'm facing difficult circumstances, if you were to come along to me and say, Jonathan, you must have trust, I'd be like, uh, trust in who? Trust in what? Without a who or a what, trust is hollow. Without a who or a what, faith is meaningless. What matters is that it's placed in something. Here's the object of your faith is just as important, if not more important, than the existence of your faith. The problem with many of us, and for me especially, is that the object of my faith is often dimmed by the things around me. The object of my faith has often been minimized. I've moved it into my own area code. I've shrunk it down in my own image so that the object of my faith, when I go to exercise it, is so small in this moment because I'm seeing it at such a small level. The object of your faith matters. And that leads into the last point here. There is no power in faith. I think that warrants you saying that out loud to me. I know some of you, you don't even like this statement. Stay with me for a minute. Let's say it again. There is no power in faith. There's no power in faith, friends. No power. In a, on its own, there is no power in faith. Just like without an object, there's no power in trust. Trust is a conduit. It's only as good as what you're trusting in, right? The same could be said of faith. It's like prayer. I, listen, I'm going to say something daring. Don't tweet this out of context. Listen, prayer is powerless on its own. If I'm praying to this inanimate object, this, this table, prayer might give me a cathartic good feeling. I might feel good. I just got things off my chest. I spoke some things out. It might be helpful at that level. But faith becomes powerful 
when I'm praying to the all-powerful. Faith becomes a, a, a life-altering when I'm, changing, when I'm praying to the life-giver. So faith requires the who and the what. In itself, there's no power in faith itself. This is why I talk so much about Jesus. This is why Pastor Keith and I both talk so much about Jesus. Because if he's not large in your eyes and heart and mind, when you turn to him, you're turning to an anemic version of him as opposed to the almighty, all-powerful God of the universe. How powerful is your God? He created the sun in a day. He, he split the Red Sea so people could walk through it on dry land. He raised Jesus from the dead. How powerful is your God? Have you lost perspective? Have you lost focus? In just a minute, and I, I really encourage you, stay with us in this gathering today. We're not done. We have something really special coming yet. And we are going to exercise our faith and we are going to pray for some breakthrough today. So I want you to stay with me. But I want you to understand it's not about you, it's about him. Because you might be like me. You might be saying, listen, Jonathan, you, you have no idea how little faith I have right now. And I feel you. Because I've sat exactly where you've sat. I've had my moments, friends. You, you might be tempted to see Pastor Keith or myself or some pastor or, or some worship leader in some sort of different context. We're human beings that bleed just like you. And I, I know this. I've had my moments where I'm going like, God, are you, are you listening? Are you there? Because I have my eyes so set on short-term wins that sometimes I lose perspective of the long-term gain of the kingdom of God and eternity that God wants so much for me and has for you. And so in turn, sometimes we, we can despise it. And maybe you're sitting there going like, Jonathan, you have no idea how much I'm struggling with my faith and how little faith I have. And I, all I'd say is, friend, you have no idea that you are not praying to a little God though. You might have little faith, but he's not little. You might have a tiny mustard seed of faith, but he's not tiny. You might feel powerless, but he is not powerless. See, the God we serve is so different, but we lose perspective. You know, here's how I often frame it. Maybe you do in my worst moments. I mean, God is here. I have him on top. He knows more than me. He's more powerful than me. Then I have all that is evil and broken in this world, just in like a close second almost, because it's certainly, I feel powerless when I'm dealing with the brokenness of my own life, the situations I can't fix, all of those things. And then I'm down here, right? I, I kind of move though God into the same area code of, of the evil and the brokenness in this world. I mean, above, but similar area code and, and myself there. And I have no idea of how different we are. We're not even living in the same universe that way. I, I, the best way I could illustrate it is I thought about this. It's like when you hear these economic reports globally and, you know, where trillions of dollars are spent on this and a billion dollars here and millions here. All I know from a human vantage point when I hear those numbers is they're big numbers, right? They're all the same. They're big numbers. But they're not even comparable. In fact, if I was to give you $5,000 a day it would take six months to make you a millionaire. If I gave you $5,000 a day, I can't, I don't have that kind of cash, but if I gave you $5,000 a day, it would take six months to make you a millionaire. 
If I was to give you $5,000 a day, it would take 547 years to make you a billionaire. Can you see that these two numbers, they're not even close. They're not even, you can use them in the same sentence, but they are in different stratospheres altogether. Oh, think about your life. Our life is constructed of days and minutes and seconds. If I was to give you the gift of a million seconds, I would be adding 11 days to your life. A million seconds is 11 days. But if I was to give you the gifts of 1 billion seconds, I would be adding 31.5 years to your life. I mean, a massive difference. And if I was to give you the gift of a trillion seconds in your life, that would be the addition of 32,000 years. Can you see the difference here? Well, God somewhere way exceeding this level, way exceeding this level. Evil is way back in here. It's not even the same quadrant. It's not in the same stratosphere, let alone me. God has created not just this world and you and everything in it. He didn't just place the sun in the sky and the planets of our galaxy. There are over 3 billion stars in the Milky Way. There are over 2 trillion stars in the universes beyond this Milky Way. And God knows them all. God created them all. And here's the good news, friends. God knows all that. God created all that. And he knows you by name. And he came looking for you by name. And God knows your need. And hear this. And God hears your prayers. Friends, uh, you may have little faith. But he's not a little God. You may feel powerless. He's all-powerful. You might not know how to move forward. He's all-knowing. You might feel like, I, I, my kids are over here and this situation's over here. I can't, I can't possibly get to them all. He can, because he's everywhere all at once. There are no limitations on the God that we serve and we tap into. All your faith is little, but he is large. So we're going to sing a song just in a moment here. A, a song that is going to magnify what Jesus has done and who he is in your life. And at the end of the song, I'm going to come back and I want us to lead in prayer that we are going to believe God for breakthrough today. So Holy Spirit, save us from our small thinking. Holy Spirit, flood our minds and our hearts and our beings, God, with the very life substance of you in this moment. Change our thinking. We choose today to magnify you. Let's sing. Start. 
for the beginning of time. With no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of life. As you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath. The planets fall. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart.
chase down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On hill you created, light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. you speak Okay, friends, let's go to that one. Now, before we plant that seed in that broken situation, before we plant that seed in that dirt that might be in your life right now where you need to see a breakthrough, let, let me just coach you. Some of us, uh, we are Christians in word <laughs> and, and maybe not in power. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in a little insight you can't put the seed in hard ground. And when, when our, heart, our heart is hardened, it's because of pride. And you know, even the last gathering, I just sensed this. I felt like many of us are struggling with some cynicism, with pride issues in our life. It has hardened us towards other people. And you don't think it's hardened you to God, but it's left your soil of your heart hardened. And the seed can't penetrate that, friends. Some of you, friends, honestly, I love you. I do. You need to forgive some people. Some of you just outright need to forgive. Because that forgiveness, it's killing you. I know my message isn't even about that. I just feel the Holy Spirit prompting me to say this. Your unforgiveness has become like concrete. And that seed can't penetrate it. The fallow ground needs to be broken up. And the only way that you and I can do that is to humble ourselves. So God, even before I pray for these needs, I pray for my brothers and sisters, whoever needs to hear this today. I pray that as they accept your forgiveness, they would in turn forgive others for the wrongs, whether real or perceived. 
Because some of us, we're like Velcro. We collect all these wrongs in life and many of them aren't even intended to be wrong. Some of them were not even focused on being wrong, but everything sticks to our souls. And friend, beloved, child of God, let it go. Forgive just as you've been forgiven. And in the context of that, give up your cynicism. Give up that, that, that part of your life that, that wants to be focused on the negativity all the time. Let's go to God. He knows you. He loves you. And even better, He wants you. So Father, we come to you today as a community in need. And God, we recognize that you spoke this world into existence. You had so much love that you created us to lavish your love upon us, God. And you are so patient and gentle with us that even when we chose not to follow your way and we chose our own way, you didn't leave us. You didn't leave us to our own self-destructive behaviors. You sent a savior, not just anyone, not just Moses, you sent Jesus. And Jesus came and he served us all. Him who had no limitation on his power, limited himself so that he could serve us and not himself. So all of our sin and brokenness and shame was heaped upon him. And he broke the back of death. And he broke the back of everything that is evil that enslaves us and holds us down. And he set us free. And God, today, we plant a seed reminding ourselves that we are free in Jesus' name. So friend, whatever that dirt place in your life, that dead place in your life, just even now verbally say that prayer, God, I plant this seed in this relationship. I plant this seed in my finances. I plant this seed in my health. I plant this seed in my emotional and mental turmoil. I can't fix any of this. I need the God of the universe at work on this. And friends, I want to encourage you. Some of you, you need to jump into the chat room. The link will be in the, in the, uh, in the chat room there. And, and someone will pray with you virtually, digitally, privately, all private. Or you can, there's a link in there if you want to do a a face-to-face with one of our pastors and it's private. But some of you, you have people sitting around you right now. You're in a family. You're in a bubble unit right now. I want to invite you in this moment to do something, to take a next step. If you're in a family and you have others and you're watching with others, I'd like you to raise your hand if you have a need so they can see it. Humble yourself. And then friends, if one of your family members, maybe it's a child, don't ask them what it is. Let them have their moment with God. If it's, if it's your dad, and, and let him have his moment with God. Don't, don't ask what that specific thing is if they don't want to share it. But instead, the rest of you, would you lay hands on that person? Just lay hands on them. And virtually, I'm just laying hands on you right now. And Father, in the name of Jesus, We are praying for breakthrough. In the name of Jesus, we are praying that the power of the God of this universe 
would be at work in situations and brokenness and hardship in this world. And God, we would experience something that you can only do and we can barely even imagine. And God, at the closing of our gathering, we just honor you and we say you are far above us. And we are so glad that you know us. We love you, Jesus. And if you can say with me together, we trust you, Jesus. Amen. Love you, One Church Theo. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.